So good morning again. My name's Kim. I'm the other Kim. Um, and this morning I'm going to be reading from Luke 18, verses 1 through 14. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, please grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and I will not, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, it's, uh, it's really good to be with you, whether you're here in the room or whether you're online or watching or listening at a later time. Uh, it's good to, to be together and to open up scripture together. My name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. And I, uh, I, I just want to say again, like to, to hear uh, the stories uh, from, from this weekend that came out of Focus Living. Um, if you've been around for, for any amount of time and you're familiar with Focus Living, that's one thing. If you're not, just, just know that every time we host a Focus Living weekend, stories like that come out where God God speaks in a really clear way. Uh, individuals get a vision for, for more of who God is and what he's doing in their life and what he wants to do uh, in and through them. And so that's just exciting. Thanks to those that, that led Phil and Kim that led Focus Living Dallas who helped out. And, um, and, and part of the vision for that too is to, as we've benefited from it as a church, is to, is to train others in, in other churches. And when we did it a year ago, we were able to uh, train a, a church called Arise that's out in Hillsboro and they hosted one this last February. Uh, and then we had Missio which is a church that we planted about 12 years ago, uh, meets in Southwest Portland. Uh, they were here with a team and learning, going through it themselves, and they'll be able to host it at, at Missio in the future, which is just really, really exciting. Um, an another thing, I hope this, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, one of the reasons that Kim was uh, sharing about kids' ministry and just the, the unique 
uh, and special and important and weighty responsibility that we have to disciple the youngest among us, the kids from birth to, to fifth grade on Sundays here in, in the lower level. Uh, yeah, one of the reasons she was talking about that was because we've had a, a couple classrooms over the last few weeks start to fill up and so looking ahead and, and the need there, which is a, a wonderful opportunity to have. Uh, it's been about, you know, if you go back to COVID, it's been about three years coming uh, to get back to that point. And so that's just really encouraging and exciting. So. Um, last thing, if I can just, uh, one more update that I need to share with you. Um, today is April 30th, uh, which is the last day in April. Uh, April uh, marks the, the 10th month in our fiscal year. Uh, and so we'll end our fiscal year at the end of June. So we have May and June still after today. Um, and I just want to share with you that uh, our giving right now as a church uh, is at 84%. Um, so if we should be at kind of on target at 100% through April uh, right now, uh, going into this weekend, we're at 84 uh, so we're, we're behind a bit and we've made some adjustments to that kind of thing to adjust to that. But I just need to share that with you. Um, and we often say as we gather here on Sundays, we, we do a, uh, we've our last uh, maybe about six months, we've been doing a giving liturgy uh, that we've been trying out. And, and it just helps to, to reorient us to the reality that we serve a God who has been generous with us. And so we want to be generous with our whole lives. And that does include Money, And we're so used to calling money our own and, and just the, the, the reality that everything that we have comes, comes from God. And so that's just a practice that we have uh, kind of in our rhythm on Sundays right now. Um, but as we talk about what that means, just details for us as a church and being um, lagging behind in, in our giving and what was projected. And again, during, during kind of throughout month to month, we've been adjusting so that we don't spend what we don't have. And yet, as we look into the future and what God's calling us to and the need to support that with finances, we know that God has provided that and it's a matter of, of us giving that to God and letting him use it. So, so two things. One, for those of you that uh, feel like this is where God is calling you to be a part of Mosaic and the, the vision that God has given our, our one local church specifically, um, the giving is a, is a part of that for, for you to, to join in with what God's doing here. And so maybe you're here and you're like, oh, this is great and I'm enjoying it. I love to see what God is doing. Um, can you just also hear that, that God's inviting you to participate with your own money as well, which is actually his, his money? We don't talk about percentages or numbers or amounts or that kind of thing within our church family, but we just want to be honest about that and share that and invite you into joining with what God's doing here. So if you're not giving, would you begin giving? If you need any help with that, uh, I would love to talk with you. We've got pastors that would love to talk with you. You can ask questions anonymously through our website or personally face-to-face. -face. Um, I've said that probably over the last 15 plus years, I don't know, 500 times. I've had three conversations with individuals. So if you would like to be number four, I would love to get to know. No, um, but that money is very personal. It's a big deal. And how we go about doing that, especially if this is your first time considering giving to a local church, a community of people that could be unknown or even scary and would like to make it not either one of those for you. The other thing is this, if you're a part of Mosaic and you give regularly, like so many of us do, thank you. Uh, it's great to be a part and linked arms with people who are giving sacrificially and generously. Um, as we do wind down this fiscal year, I do want to ask if you'd consider giving an extra gift um, either the last day of April uh, to make up with where we're behind in April or over these next two months as we finish our fiscal year. So if you have any questions, I'm available um, afterwards. We'd love to talk with you, but just want to share that with you uh, and let you know where we're at.
So I want to invite you to do this. Uh, we're going to be opening up Luke chapter 18 and uh, look at these verses that Kim just read first, 1 through 14. And before we do that, we want to just go to God together and pray and ask him to work and move uh, in our moment right now here. God, you are here in our midst. And as we've already sung to you, as we've already pointed to you and declared that you are working and you are present in our world, you are not far away. You are near. You are here. This is actually your time and space. We're not fitting you into our schedule. We're joining and stepping into yours. And so as you're here, we declare you as the good and just and merciful and loving and forgiving and all-powerful and all-knowing God of the universe who has your eye on us as a loving parent, as a father looks on a child that he loves. And so we want to receive that and meet you in that way today. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work and move right here in this time as you've been trying to get our attention on certain things, if you've been trying to, to reach our heart and soften our heart, would it be that for you right now? Or would you work and move right now, Holy Spirit? And Jesus, we're going to read more of your words as Luke captured them and wrote them down so many years ago. Words from you to those around you. Words from you to your disciples. Words from you to people who doubt you and question you or are cynical about you even existing or being who you claim to be. Would wherever we're at, we would receive your words as truth and as life and as the way that you're inviting us to go. In your name that we pray, amen. So find your way to Luke chapter 18. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Luke and one of the, the truths that we kind of live by and have been walking by these last, oh, a uh, year and a half has been that wherever we go in Luke, that Jesus has something to teach us. And we're going to read two short stories from, from Jesus today, little stories called parables, which is kind of use common everyday details and scenarios and, and things, but with a spiritual or eternal reality that's linked to that. And so we're going to look at two little snapshots together. And, and Jesus actually, uh, he kind of... Um, shifts between saying things that are really kind of mysterious and unknown, and then he shifts and says things that are really just kind of obvious and clear and, and right there for us. And today we have two that are really obvious and clear, that he just says it kind of the way it is. There's not a lot of mystery here. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of challenge of where we can grow and step into. So these two things, Jesus, and one of the things that, that Jesus is doing through this is he's saying, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to emulate someone. I'm gonna invite you to be like someone. I'm gonna to point to them for you and then just say, hey, kind of be like this. But the reason behind that has to do with the character of God. The reason behind that has to do with the person who loves you and is inviting you to follow them. And so here we go. Jesus says this in, in, in verse one of, of chapter 18, or verse one says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Luke is helpful in this, and then he says, this is what this is about. So he, you know, we don't get this all, all the time in Scripture, but he's just kind of putting the cookies on the lower shelf and just kind of saying, here, this is a story. Jesus is going to say this, and this is why he's saying it. Here it is, that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. That's what this story is about. Now, here's a story that Jesus shared. He said, Jesus said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. 
For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Two characters, judge and widow. Uh, we found a judge who it says doesn't fear God or uh, care what people think, which in some sense you're like, okay, don't, not caring what people think, that's good character in a judge. Like you want a judge that doesn't care, that is just committed to doing the right thing. I, I think uh, hopefully we all could would say it would be great if a judge feared like a, a, a higher power, a God, a truth that, that they submitted to in some way. Uh, and so Jesus is telling the story about this judge that is like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't fear God. I don't, I don't care what people think. Um, and so there's almost like this hint of uh, uh, selfishness. Like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and, and it doesn't matter. And then you got the widow, and, and the widow is, a, uh, is somebody is doing something to her, and she has no one in her life to go to. Uh, a widow in that culture would have had no, you know, we, we kind of, we, we probably have people that we know would, that would technically qualify as a widow in our life, and yet we don't label them as that. We know them as other, we know them as grandma or an aunt or a friend, but we don't label them as widows. In that culture at that time, to be a widow would have had been no other support, that either the community is gonna provide support or the law is gonna provide some protection or they've got nothing. And so they've gotta find another way to get another identity, to get remarried and to be a wife again, to fold into a family or something like that where they can have another identity. But to be labeled a widow means I've got nobody that's supporting me. So I'm in, I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, and I am in need. And her only option is to go to a judge and say, will you help me? And he's insensitive to her needs for a long time, but she keeps kind of nagging him after over and over and over saying, I, I need help against my adversary. And the judge eventually does the right thing, but for the wrong reason. The judge does the right thing for the wrong reason. The judge sees a woman in need that's got no other support system and says, I'm gonna bring justice into your life by protecting you from an adversary, but I'm gonna do it because I want you to stop bothering me. I want you to stop badgering me. I want you to stop kind of like pounding against me. The, the, the term is actually like, to, if you keep hitting me, you're gonna give me a black eye. Like you just keep coming and keep coming, coming. So I'm gonna do away with you. And it's rewarding the, the, the persistency of her but he's doing it for the wrong reasons. I'm gonna do the right thing, I'm gonna bring justice, but I'm gonna do it for the wrong reason. Jesus says this next. And the Lord said, as he had, Jesus has comments or commentary about this, this story, he explains it. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus explains, what, what is this common story? You know widows, you know judges, you know that whole process of going to a judge and asking for help or pleading your case. You, you're familiar with that. Let me tell you the, the bigger reason, the spiritual reality of why I'm telling this story. And he says, he's comparing the character of the God of the universe with this unjudged judge. If an unjust judge will do the right thing, even though it's for the wrong reason, the comparison is how much more, and scripture uses that phrase over and over, and will not God do this, or how much more is your God good compared to this? So you have this reference point on a human level, and it hardly compares to who God is on the eternal level, the God of the universe. God is going to actually help, help you. 
And so what, he's, what Jesus is pointing to is the character of God and what God will do because of his character. Because God's character is good, he looks at those that he loves, each and every one of us, and says, I, you're, you're the ones that I've created and I, I love. When you come and ask me, I will do what you need done. And it even says quickly. He says he's not going to put them off. So we have to take that and compare it to our own experience. And if we read Luke's words and hear that Jesus is talking about prayer and that we would pray always, all the time, and that we would not give up. And we listen to this and we hear Jesus' words of saying like, God will answer, he will not put them off, he will bring justice and he'll do it quickly. All of that sounds great until we actually kind of look at our last week or at our last season or at our lifetime or our family's lifetimes or whatever it might be as we step back and look and we go, I don't, I don't know where I see God showing up and, and being just. And, and right now the thing that is on my heart that I'm asking about, that I'm praying about or trying to pray about, it just doesn't seem like God is, is moving quickly. And I, I think I'm a fairly patient person. And so one of the struggles that we have is that these verses don't seem to match up with our experience. And specifically when it comes to, to prayer, specifically when it comes to, to asking God for what, what we need, what we want, what we long for. This is an example that Jesus is using and saying, I want you to pray more. I want you to pray more. So if we can kind of put the, 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 the inconsistency that we kind of compare with our own life to the side for just a moment and hear that, that Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I, I, want you to, I want you to pray more. I want you to pray all the time and I, I want you to, uh, to not give up. There's another verse, it's in 1 Thessalonians and it, and it says, pray without ceasing. A guy named Paul writes that, that verse. Uh, maybe you've heard that one before. And you hear that and you're like, um, I can't even exercise without ceasing. I don't know that I can pray. There's not many things I can do in my life w without ceasing. And, and prayer seems like this thing that I just don't, I don't feel competent in. I don't feel skilled at. I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm winning when I, when I pray. It, it just seems to be a struggle. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who, who recently shared with me that they have a, uh, I don't know exactly what it's called. I'm not on this app. Um, but it, I think it's a streak on Snapchat, a streak. And it, we're sharing with me that they have a streak over 700 days. Over 700 days that they and a friend have snapped each other back and forth. Or whatever you call it. Um, I have another friend who, uh, I don't know if he would technically identify himself as this, but I'm going to do it for him. I'm going to identify him as an addict to Twitter. Um, he is an addict to Twitter, and that's just based on the kind of the crink in his neck and, and how he holds his wrists, whether he has a phone in it or not. Like, he, he's on Twitter all the time. If I were to grab my phone and pull it up and scroll through the amount of people that I've texted in the last 24, 48, 72, whatever it might be, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm, gonna, I'm actually impressed with how many people I text. That I look and go, wow, I've, con I've been in contact with all these people family for sure, co-workers to our staff team, people in our church, people that, are, that live uh, in other states, uh, my family that lives in, in Denver, and the amount of people that I'm in contact with. 
So here's, here's what I begin wondering. I don't feel like a, a prayer warrior often. I don't feel like I'm a, uh, excellent in prayer. Prayer has always been for me a part of, of my walk with Jesus that I always feel less than in and want to grow and be strengthened in. And then I realize the amount of communication that I have with people around me and the amount of communication that you have with, with people around you or with websites or apps or social media or whatever it is that you read on a regular basis. And so the amount of things that we would do that actually fit into the category of what Paul says of pray without ceasing, that idea of not ceasing, we actually have that down. There are a lot of things that we do without ceasing, that we were in regular communication with people. The invitation from the God of the universe is, is not that your eyes are closed and that you're, you're saying words out of your mouth to him on a regular basis. We, we know that, right? Feel released from that. The invitation is, is, to, is to, in your waking hours, to go through your day with a conscious awareness that you're in friendship and relationship with Jesus as Savior and God as creator and ruler of the universe. And there is this invitation to walk knowing that. I know when, when Abby is at work and when she's at home or when she's at the store and we're in constant communication. I'm not talking to her all the time, but I, I live and breathe with an awareness of where my wife is because she's a critical part of my life. God is saying, I want you to, to live and breathe with a constant awareness that I am for you and that I am with you and that I'm all around you. I've, for the last couple years, I think it's been maybe three years, I've set aside time. One of the ways that, that, that God's kind of challenged me and some mentors challenged me to, to grow in prayer is to set aside time. My, my days off are Friday and Saturday. And Friday morning, um, I wake up and I read the, the reading plan that I'm doing in scripture. And then I, I, I take a, an additional time to sit alone in, in my room at home and to go through this prayer exercise. It's contemplative prayer or centering prayer. And about a year ago, I started writing out, because I would just pray, and, and, and sometimes it was really meaningful, and sometimes it, it, it was less meaningful. Um, but I just was committed to the practice and trusted friends and mentors, and as I've read, said just over time, do this, and, and God, will, God will shift and change your heart and, and work in you. And I, a year ago, I started writing, um, just if, if I had, I would write something. This is what I prayed for. This is what came to mind. This is the, the word that I was praying through. These are the people that I was, whatever it might be. And sometimes there was more than other stuff and I would just write. And I honestly did it kind of without, without thinking about it a lot. And a few weeks ago, I opened that, that note to, to add something and decided I'm gonna go back and read over, over the last year. And to be perfectly honest, the reason I went back and read is because I had skipped a few weeks and had some blanks. And so I said, I'm gonna go back and look at what I was praying about a year. I just stayed there and, and read week after week and was shocked at the amount of things that God had brought to mind, of the ways that he had revealed uh, emotions and attitudes that he wanted to work on in me, names and people that I had seen change in that I hadn't really even noticed because I hadn't gone back and reread what I had been praying about nine, 10 months ago and began to see like, there's this, there was this sense that came over me that, that God is at work far more than I give him credit for in just my life. And the truth is, is that we're all invited into that. And that's, that's on one morning of a week. And I had missed a couple of weeks. And to look back and go, God is at work in me, through me, 
on me, changing me. And then these relationships and people that he's put on my heart and mind that he's working in, and I just get to kind of step in and know about it. I'm not even doing anything but praying. And then God says, pray without ceasing. Pray always. Not necessarily articulating a want or a need, but just saying, God, you're with me. You're walking with me. Jesus, not Jesus, less than Jesus, but kind of up there is a guy named C.S. Lewis. He, uh, I've shared this before, and maybe you've seen it in, in a movie, but there's a movie made, I don't know how many years ago, 20 years ago, maybe called Shadowlands. And uh, it's, it's C.S. Lewis's life, but specifically the part of his life where um, he, later in life, he marries a woman um, who has a child, and uh, she, um, fairly shortly after they get married, I think it's after they get married, not before, I don't remember, she has cancer. And there's this, my favorite scene in the whole movie is that C.S. Lewis is out at, uh, at a pub, uh, which that's not the part that's my favorite, but that's kind of cool. He's at a pub with his friends and, they're, and they're, they're sitting there talking. He gets a phone call and has to go um, up, up to the, the counter and, and, and talk on the phone and, and he comes back and he says, I have to go to the hospital, we've got some good news. And the scene is that he walks over to put his jacket on as he's leaving the pub and a friend comes over and puts his, his hands on his shoulders and, and says, um, it's happening. Isn't it so good that you've been praying? I know you've been praying so much and God is answering your prayer. <laughs> and I love C.S. Lewis's response. He says, that's not why I pray. I, I pray because I can't help it. I, I pray because it just comes out of me. I pray because I'm, I'm helpless. And the guy doesn't really know what to say to him and he kind of puts his hands down and walks away. At least in the movie, this scene goes on where C.S. Lewis kind of looks down and he's still answering the question though nobody's listening to him. And he says, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Prayer doesn't change God. I'm not praying because I'm gonna change God's interest in me. I'm not praying because I'm gonna change God's plan of what he's gonna do. I'm not praying because I'm going to affect God but when I pray and step into his presence and step into the awareness that there's a God of the universe that is paying attention to me and wants good for the world and is inviting me into that, it actually changes me. The, uh, I, I didn't realize this because I didn't think of her as this, but um, I had a really significant widow in my life for a long time. It was my grandmother. When I was in second grade, my grandfather died, and a few years later, my grandmother moved from South Carolina to Los Angeles to move into our home full time. And, and we thought, my sister and I, for the most part, thought it was great that we had grandma around all the time. As we went on, we, uh, we didn't all fit in our home, and, uh, and my parents, with my grandmother, had a little bit of money, um, and they began to do a, a, a renovation on our house. And they were trying to make our house a bigger, um, and so that we had a family of four, now we were a family of five. And so we wanted to add a room on so that grandma had her own room and, um, and they didn't have a lot of money. And so the way that they did it and the timeline that it took to, to do that renovation, that it, a, addition to the house took quite a long time. And I found myself in, in middle school um, and not pleased with how my house looked. I wanted to invite friends over 
And I wanted uh, uh, my house to look like some of my other friends' houses. Um, I wanted my house to actually be done and not in process for, for so long. And um, maybe, you know, if you want to put all the pieces together, maybe you can see where, you know, how my sister ended up as a therapist and I ended up as a pastor. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's something in that. But I remember notifying my parents that this would not do and saying, can, can we wrap this up? Can my room be done? My new room be done? Can grandma's room be done? Can we get a second bathroom in here? Um, and by the way, this is what I want my room to look like and the kind of carpet I want and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and can we get the kitchen done? Because everybody comes over, goes through the kitchen. And it just, this is, and uh, my, my parents, particularly my dad was fairly gracious and patient with me as a stubborn, mouthy middle schooler. And what I, what I, I didn't realize it in the moment, but as I look back, I, I started complaining to my parents that our house wasn't done and I wanted it to be different. And then pretty soon after that, I found myself on our roof with my dad, pulling off shingles and learning how to put new shingles on and how to measure them and cut them so he could put them on and, and nail them down and all that. And I realized what happened was that I, I shared with my dad and my mom, what I didn't like and what was out of line, and it probably in my head, if I would have known the word and the concept, I would have said, this is not just, make it right, and then found myself on the roof, in the hot sun, working, and to be perfectly honest, kind of enjoying it. Because it was really fun to climb on the roof, especially when I had permission, I didn't have to sneak and do it, and nobody saw me. But I all of a sudden was involved in the work of doing the very thing that I wanted done. And I didn't understand all of the cost to it and all the decisions and the, the things that my parents had, had been working on and stressing about and caring about. But my dad said, here, come, you're gonna come help me and you're gonna learn how to do this. You're gonna be a part of it. When Jesus says, always pray and, and don't give up, he means, I'm doing something and I want you a part of it. I want you involved in it. Now, you might come as a complainer you might come as somebody who is, has no more hope and it's all gone. You might come as somebody cynical. You might come as somebody super hopeful and excited and ready to go. But God is saying, I want you praying regularly, always, because the things I'm about in this world, I think you're about too. You might not have the right attitude. You might not have the right plan. You might not have the right perspective. But as you pray, your heart will change. Your mind will change. And I'm going to bring you closer in to what I want. And you'll be different. Because prayer actually changes me and you. It doesn't, it doesn't change God. There's a word in there that causes me some confusion and some doubt. And the word is quickly. Because I have a way of defining quickly. And in fact, the truth is, is that I define quickly differently at different times throughout the week and month. It's kind of like the word wealthy. Each and every one of us here has a different way of defining wealthy. And I can guarantee you, and in fact, I can bet all my money and all your money that your definition of wealthy rises and falls based on how much money you have. Because whatever you have now, if you were to get what you think is wealthy, all of a sudden, you, a new definition would pop up in your mind of wealthy. Quickly is kind of the same way. So that bothers me that it says that God will answer quickly because I can immediately in my mind list all the ways that God has not done that. And so I, I'm reading a book and it, and help me understand how God works quickly. The book is called Faithful Disobedience, Writings on Church and State from a Chinese House Church Movement. There's a movement 
in China going on right now that's called the house church movement. And the truth is it doesn't have anything to do with houses. In fact, one of the main stories in this book is a church of about 600 people that met together in one physical place. It was in a, it was in a building and it was completely open in China with advertisement and posted publicly on what they believe and teach. And in this, this book at the beginning, is a time, it says timeline of important dates. Here's the, here's the second date listed which is the first attempt by the Jesuits under Francis Xavier to establish a mission in China. Jesuits following Jesus have scripture, want to share it with China, go to China, and it says it fails. And that's 1552. It fails. 30 years later, a group of another Jesuit priest, a group of, of Jesuit priests go, and they actually succeed. 920 Jesuits serve in China before the first Protestant missionaries arrived two centuries later. 1552, 30 years after it fails, and then 200 years later, it's Protestants. And then it says in early 1800s, at that time, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Episcopalian missionaries established missions in China. 50 years after that, a guy named Hudson Taylor shows up in China. And, and the big thing that happens in is they move from the coastal cities and begin to move inland. And something called China Inland Mission begins. That's 1850. If you fast forward into the 1960s and 70s, the Cultural Revolution in China, all churches and seminaries are closed. They're just shut down. Yet in, what's this, 40 years later, in the year 2008, there's a massive earthquake, 90,000 people are killed, millions are homeless. And the stories that come out of that is not just the failure of the corrupt government that didn't have the infrastructure in place to help them, but the number of followers of Jesus that came out of the woodwork and out of their homes to serve and help those in need. 2014 and 15, a campaign to demolish more than 1,000 visible church crosses takes place in a particular city, Wenzhou, and across the Zhejiang province. So there's this oppression, there's this persecution that happens. This book is primarily, though not exclusively, about a church called Early Rain Covenant Church. And in 2018, it and two other significant churches that are part of the, what's called the house church movement were shut down, their property seized, they were not allowed to exist anymore. And the next year, in 2019, Wang Yi is sentenced to nine years imprisonment on charges of inciting to subvert state power and illegal business operations because they would not, they would not submit to the government oversight organization. They wanted to control their theology and their practices and how they functioned as a church. How many followers of Jesus outside of China have been praying for China? Not for decades, but for centuries. How many followers of Jesus in China have been following Jesus and sharing their faith and baptizing others and taking what, what of scripture they do have and sharing it with others to say, hey, come and follow and know the God of the universe. And there's stories in China right now of the spread of the good news of Jesus and of people being baptized. And so to step back and look at a, a historical timeline of the rises and falls of the opportunities for the gospel and the work of God in China come and go, yet there's God who is faithful and is at work and doing powerful and significant things in a country that is more and more closed, unfortunately, 
to the good news of Jesus. And so when, when Jesus says he will hear us and do just by us and answer quickly, it doesn't always look and happen when we want it and how we want it. But God is at work and is faithful. Quickly, the last few verses say this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So that's, that's just like the jerk in the story. That's an easy one. Like the Pharisee is just, God, basically, God, you're lucky to have me on your team. You drafted well. Look at me. I mean, that's kind of his thing. I, I read, read somewhere described it. He says, he's, he's actually glancing at God and contemplating himself, which is a fascinating thing to do if you think about a religious leader at that time. So he's praying out loud so everybody can hear, I'm awesome, God's lucky to have me on his team. Here's the things, here's my resume. I fast twice a week, which would have been way more than what would have been expected from, from their scriptures, uh, the Old Testament to say once a year, or even the practice of, of, of once a week that he was doing it twice a week. He says, I give a 10th of all I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's this, this scripture that's repeated three times throughout the Bible. It says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs, James, and 1 Peter. It's throughout scripture. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What Jesus is doing here is saying, the first parable says, I'm, I'm going to provide justice. I'm going to bring that. I'm going to answer. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it quickly, but it might not be in your time. And so continue to pray. Continue to not give up. Trust that my character is good and trustworthy and faithful. And know that and have confidence in that. But don't have the kind of confidence that then makes you prideful but with knowing of how good God is and that he is with you and that he will provide for you and take care of you and answer your cry. Don't allow that to cause you to be prideful, but remain humble. And we have this picture of this tax collector who beats his chest and says, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And what Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture for these two contrasting people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And over and over, he picks on tax collectors because he knows that everybody hates the tax collector. If you were here for Easter, we talked about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, which comes just in the very next chapter. It's coming up. But what he says is like, this is the one who I can work with because they need me. This is the one that realizes their own need and comes to me. And what Jesus is doing is saying, be like this guy. There's not too many times that Jesus is this clear. Jesus is literally saying, here's these two people, look at them. If, he would, if it would have been a technical advances, technical advances we have, he probably would have played some kind of like YouTube video of a Pharisee and a tax collector and said, don't be this guy, be this guy, emulate this guy. If you want to walk with me, if you want to follow me, if you want me to work in your life, do what this guy is doing. Go off to the side and beat your chest and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. So humble yourself, identify as a sinner. If that's new to you, 
There's an invitation. Identify as a sinner. Our, if you follow Jesus and have been forgiven, if you've come to this table, if you've been through the waters of baptism, if you said, Jesus, I believe in you as my redeemer and rescuer and my savior, you are saved. You are a saint. You are white as snow. You are forgiven. You are restored. And yet Jesus says, there's still sin in our life. And so to say, I am a sinner. I need the God of the universe to extend forgiveness and mercy to me. I need mercy. And so to know that God is with us and answering our prayer and is going to work in and through us in this world for his good that we might see and get a glimpse of and have our eyes widen and say, God, you were working throughout history in ways that I get just little glimpses of. But that's the God that's working in and through me. And yet I will remain humble and say, God, I need you. And so I want to invite you with the picture of a tax collector off to the side of the room beating his chest and saying, I, I need you. I can't do it on my own. My resume doesn't match up to the Pharisees. And in fact, it never will. And to try to get it to is getting off the road. I, I read somewhere else that said, it wasn't a matter of how far the Pharisee had gone and how far he'd advanced. He's moved along the road, but that he was actually on the wrong road. He wasn't on the road that leads to freedom because he wasn't on the road to mercy and grace and forgiveness from a loving God. And so as we continue to sing this morning, we're invited to these tables and we come over and over and over again. And would you do so today with a sense of, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. You've forgiven me. Your forgiveness and mercy is readily available over and over and over again. And so bring what you have today. Celebrate what you've identified that you've been forgiven for already. Come boldly asking, God, would you work in new ways in and through me for your good? Will you give me patience and vision to see how you are quickly working to bring more of your kingdom into this world today? Jesus, as we come to your, your tables, we come to your meal, would we do so with an awareness and need for our own in our own lives for your mercy? Would we see the tax collector not as somebody who is without hope, but somebody who has found hope in you and is able to rely on you and not their own works, their own accomplishment, but they claim you? Would we be those people? Would we be those women and men this morning who say, God, we need your forgiveness. We need your grace. We need your mercy. And with that, would you give us vision for the things that you're calling us to in our own life? That we would boldly ask you as the God who answers and hears our prayers, who is at work, will you help us to see the ways that you're working in our life and in our world? And we trust you with all of this, Jesus, as we come to your table this morning.